I think sometimes we get the order backwards or we, we live outside of the pattern that Jesus is setting forth for our lives. And what I mean by that is we, we try to run to mission before we know our identity or we try to run to mission before um, we've really experienced the filling of the Spirit. You're listening to The Chopping Block a weekly podcast from City Life Church where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Hello, Brett. Hello, Andy. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be back in the studio with you. We missed last week, so we're going to be covering a lot of material today. Yeah, my family got the stomach sickness that's going around everywhere. So sorry we missed. Currently have a son home with the flu. He is isolated to the basement. But here we are, healthy for now. Lots of Lysol being sprayed in my house. But we're here in the chopping block, so we're going to be covering uh, not only this most recent Sunday sermon, uh, but looking back Sunday week to your sermon, Brett, on the baptism of Jesus. Uh, Excited to to dive in and see what was left on the chopping block as you prepared that sermon. I, I'll speak for myself with the temptation of Jesus, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, this past Sunday. There was just so much material to cover. Right. I mean, it was just too much to try to pack into one sermon. Uh, so I preached a little long. Uh, but, yeah, there was so much that I even still I had to leave out. And I know with the topic of Jesus's baptism. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to cover there. There is, but I think the natural temptation is actually the opposite when you read the story, when you're like, yeah, I think we 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 lean into the father's words, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Well, maybe we think about the trinity here, but but I don't know if we think about the the whole bible significance, the whole story significance of what's happening. So maybe even myself if I'm honest when I first knew that was my assignment. It was like, oh, man, what am I going to do with all this? And then you start to open up kind of the the envelope, and, man, there's so much inside. Start peeling back the layers. And we say this. I feel like we say this over and over and over on the chopping block. But, man, knowing the story of the Bible, right? kind of knowing the redemptive storyline, reading the Old Testament, it just brings the Bible into technicolor. Yeah. Um, and, and the baptism of Jesus is one of those moments mm-hmm. where if you have the background of the Old Testament, it it changes the way that you read it. It's not that you can't get the essence of what's happening at the surface level. Right. Um, but you just, you miss so many details and so many layers of what's happening. You actually kind of got into some of that in your sermon. One of the things that you brought out was this language of the spirit descending on Jesus like yeah. a dove, th- that imagery is is tied to the prophet Isaiah. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think in your sermon you dealt with, you know, Isaiah's prophecy of uh, the spirit of the Lord resting upon God's chosen servant um, and how what Matthew's signaling um, and what's actually happening in this moment is that Jesus is being singled out and identified as that servant of the Lord. Yeah. 
Could you maybe dig into that a little bit more? And and I think something we were talking about a second ago is uh, maybe even more significant is that Matthew then ties that to the Messiah who was expected, you know, all over the place in the Old Testament, right. but like Psalm 2, um, kiss the son, you know. So here is God saying, this is my son, this is the servant of the Lord. Yep. Um, and how those are brought together in a moment which would have been paradigm shifting for for most Jewish people in the, in in that day. Yeah, I feel like something we're trying to regularly do is go, hey, here's what's going on in the whole story, the story of redemption, the story of salvation, and, and you know, oversimplifying in some ways, but really the whole Old Testament is looking for this seed of the woman, this Genesis 3.15 seed of Eid who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent, this Redeemer, this Savior, this Messiah, and he's identified in different ways all throughout the te- all, all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, and to your point, Isaiah, there's this continual servant that comes up often. Uh, you know, one of the most significant places being Isaiah 53, that he's crushed for our transgressions. You know, our iniquities are upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. But I used Isaiah 42, which God says, this is my servant, I strengthen him. This is my chosen one, I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. And you have in, in the baptism of Jesus the, the Spirit descending on Christ like a dove, the Spirit on him. Of course, Christ is already one with the Spirit. He's, he's one with the Father and the Spirit, but something significant is being identified about Jesus. Excuse me. <coughs> a little bit of frog in my throat. Something significant is being identified about Jesus in this moment. And then to your point, Psalm 2, where... where um, God is saying, I've put my king in Zion. And then later he's going to say, this is my son. Right. Uh, just a verse, like six verses six and seven, just a, a, a verse later, this is my son. So this, there's this king in Zion who's also called God's son. And for, for, for most of the Jewish interpreters of the time, almost none would have seen Isaiah 53 as the Messiah in general, like that this this. S- servant who's going to suffer for the people as a Messiah. M- most wouldn't have connected that right. with the Messiah. That's why Paul later says that it's a scandal. Right. And then to connect, and for so for, for him to say, one, this is who this is, and then to connect it with the king of Psalm 2, who's called God's son, to your point, was paradigm shifting. These two things go together, and in this moment, the Father is saying this. God is saying this over Jesus. This is the spirit-anointed uh, son who is the king. It makes me think too of of Isaiah sixty one where it you know explicitly says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me right because He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor He sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captive so it's this suffering or not suffering but this servant of the Lord who's spirit anointed and He's identifying Himself and ministering to the marginalized the poor um, those who need comfort those who need healing. I think that's significant because here is Jesus entering into the waters of baptism. The people that were going out to John were those confessing their sins, admitting their brokenness, admitting their need of healing. Um, And Jesus identifies with that. I know you dealt with this in your sermon. He's, He's not coming as one who needs to repent, 
but he's coming identifying himself with those yeah. who do. Yeah, Bruner has a great quote. He says, it's well known that Jesus ended his life and ministry on a cross between two thieves. It should be as well known that Jesus begins his ministry in a river surrounded by sinners. His whole earthly ministry is identifying himself with sinners. Yeah. Um, ultimately so that he can suffer for us. Um, so just tons going on there right? Um, in terms of Old Testament expectation and prophecy. And that's really what makes the New Testament so fun to read is yeah. when you begin to, you know, find those Easter eggs. You begin to find those those coalescing lines, you know, from the Old Testament that all converge on Jesus. Yeah. And that was the huge moment, I think, for those who came to believe in Jesus was that, you know, Daniel chapter 7, the son of man who has access to the ancient of days, mm-hmm. who is given authority and a throne and, a, and an eternal kingdom is the same one as Isaiah's suffering servant. Yeah. Um, and they would have never expected those to be the same person. And Jesus says, I'm him. Yeah. Yeah. And in a very real way, of course, the birth of Jesus is, is, is so significant, the incarnation, right? But in a very real, real way, if the whole Testament's this kind of, he's coming, he is coming, he is coming. This is the moment where God is putting the spotlight on Jesus and saying, he is here. This is him. Look right. no further. This is the one I have promised. So you, you called it a coronation. Yeah. I mean, he's being he's being publicly recognized and crowned in this moment. Um, and his, this is essentially the, I mean, you know, this is, this is his public entrance. Right. He's running for office. Right. The king is here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an announcement. Um, you know, anything more to say there in terms of like what Matthew is doing here? With Jesus's coronation, I mean, we're going to get into his temptations here in just a second. It, I think, I think the order here is significant. Sure, yeah, you know, d- theologians have have used different language to describe what's happening here. Jesus was the Son of God before this moment. He's been the Son of God for eternity past. He has always been. Jesus was the King of the universe before this moment, in a very real way, right? Uh, and he always has been. But here he's being bestowed an office upon himself, that this is my king. This is my Messiah. I have sent to redeem my people, and he's going to live out this office, which begins by identifying with sinners in a muddy river. This is the kind of savior I've sent, and this is the kingdom, the kind of kingdom he's come to build, and he's going to stay low with you all the way through his ministry so that he can raise you up. So there's this, yeah, it's this shining moment um, you know, I, the thing I did chop, I, this may be a miss that one of the things I did chop was a comparison to the story of Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. Cause the reality is, is Brendan Conrad would tell you that anytime you leave Lord of the Rings on the chopping block, it's a miss. Yeah. But the reality is, is Aragorn is the king, the rightful king of Gondor from the moment he's born. There's never a time where he wasn't, but even when he was living in anonymity, is that the right word? Anonymity. <laughs> I think you. I think you got some I consonants backward there. I did a Finding Nemo deal. Simonin, Simonin. <laughs> Even when he's living in obscurity, that's a good word. There you go. As a ranger, anonymity, patrolling the woods, he's the king. But not until they put the crown on his head in 
the return of the king, can he really start to live out that office? Well, we're going to see it. Jesus, Jesus repeatedly, I mean, just the humility of Christ. Right. You know, he's going to start his ministry in Galilee. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a messianic king, one would expect you to start in Jerusalem. And Jesus goes to Galilee. Yeah. Um, so he's he he's a king who is humble. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you just mentioned was um, he's always been the son of God. Right. Um, and so this is kind of his coming out party. Like, but one of the things that we see here. I mean, this is this is a kind of classic proof text for Trinitarianism. Mm-hmm. You have all three members of the Trinity actively present in a moment. You have, you know, Jesus in the water, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, the Father speaking from heaven, this is my beloved Son. I mean, yeah. you know, James Earl Jones is where I go with that <laughs> voice. I don't know about you. That's a great one. What, what you know, language did God speak in? Um, things I wonder. But... You know, this is a classic proof text for Trinitarianism. Why is it significant that we have all three persons of the Trinity here in this moment and just the simultaneous presence there? um, How does that help us form some theology? Yeah, I mean, in, in in a real way, yes, you could go back to Genesis 1 and say you have the spirit hovering over the deep, you have God present speaking and that Jesus is the word. The three of course are present there, but it's not explicit to just the, the reader who's reading over the surface of text here. This is really the first time in scripture where it's explicitly clear that all three are, are, and, and, and the text tells us that they're all present. And so as God progressively reveals himself in scripture, this is like, Hey, you've seen the spirit, in the Old Testament, you've seen the Father, Yahweh, in the Old Testament. You've seen the mention of the Son. You've seen the mention of the Messiah. Here they are. This is it. I, maybe you haven't fully gotten it. This is one God in three persons. And it makes sense even that the Spirit's role comes now because the Spirit is is the, the Spirit of promise. Right. He, you know, his, his role is to bring about the promises of God um, through bestowing himself on us and showing us who Christ is. Well, I mean, you just had John saying of the Messiah, there's one coming after me who's greater than me. He ranks before me, you know, so he existed before I did. Right. But he's coming after me, and he is going to baptize you with a greater baptism. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yeah. You know, and now here Jesus is, that spirit is anointing him. Yeah. Which signals to everyone who's been listening to John, Oh, this is the dude. Mm-hmm. This is the dude that's going to pour out the spirit and power, which was an Old Testament prophecy, yes. Joel chapter two, that days are coming, declares the Lord. Yes. When I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, you know. Yeah. And not only do you have them present here, but then this is going to come up multiple times in Matthew. But then, of course, in, in, in the great commission that Jesus gives his disciple before he raises into heaven, um, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I have commanded you, right? Um, so the Trinity that's present at Jesus' baptism is the same triune God that we're immersed into as Christian believers. Right. But all three members, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are put together co-equal. This is the name into one name, 
in three persons that you're baptized into. Because sometimes that comes up, especially with like, reason why I bring some of this up is like, you know, having good theology here helps us with some modern day heresies. Right. You know, one being like Arianism, so Jehovah's Witnesses who would um, reject the idea of the eternal existence of the Son. Um, or you have like oneness Pentecostals, modalism, you know, who would reject the simultaneous existence of Father, Son, and Spirit? You know, well, here, here, all three are simultaneously present. Right. Um, that's really critical, right? Um, and that comes up later with baptism sometimes because people read the book of Acts and they go, well, they were baptizing people into the name of Jesus, not into the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, so we shouldn't baptize in baptize into the trinitarian name we should baptize into the name of jesus christ yeah but what we have here is matthew showing us you know the trinitarian nature of god and then finishing his gospel yeah. telling us to baptize into that name i think the reason why you you have the explicit mention of jesus in acts is because that was the one that people were missing right you have to believe in jesus as messiah to receive the spirit they believed most most instances where that happened. They believed in God the Father. They believed in Yahweh. Yeah. What they needed to believe in was Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord. Yeah. Um, and and, so, and when we, you're when you're baptized into one name, you're baptized into all three. Like you can't right, separate no, the Trinity. No division. Right. Um, of their essence. Well, really good stuff there. Maybe maybe as a segue, kind of into the temptations. Um, you know, I think the order here matters. It's significant that. Jesus is immersed into uh -huh. his identity. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He receives the spirit before he's then led by the spirit into the wilderness. Yeah. That's uh, for so temptation. And then, you know, immediately mission. We were talking about this earlier. I think sometimes we get the order backwards. Yeah. Or we, we live outside of the pattern that Jesus is setting forth for our lives. And what I mean by that is we, we try to run to mission before we know our identity or we mm. try to run to mission before um, we've really experienced the fill, the filling of the spirit. Yeah. And if, if you try to do, if you try to do ministry outside of knowing your identity, or if you try to do ministry outside of the power of the spirit, you're going to fall flat on your face. Yeah. Sometimes we see a, a natural leader and we're like, Oh man, we got to get this person into, we just got to give them a platform. We got to get them, out in impacting people and that's a real way as a real dangerous slope because we have nothing to offer outside the spirit of god working in us and through us i think i told this story in a sermon before but jeff vanderstelt tells this story of like when vanderstelt's a pastor in uh tacoma washington and um he tells this story of like when they first planted their church like they really keyed in on um, incarnational ministry and they were looking at the end of John's gospel where Jesus appears to his disciples and this is post-resurrection and he tells them as the father sent me so I send you and so he said man we just talked a ton about like being sent in the same way as Jesus Jesus left heaven and came to earth he put on flesh and he lived incarnationally among people and he said, man, a few months in, we were all just exhausted. Mm. And he said, the Holy, the, the Lord took me back to that text. And he said, I realized that I'd only been preaching half of it. Mm. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And then it says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
He said, I realized that we had been trying to do this all in the power of the flesh. Wow, that's good. He said, we had to learn what it means to do ministry in the power of the Spirit, in dependence upon God. Yeah. And I, th- I just think that's a word. That's what we see here. Jesus does ministry in the anointing of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, he doesn't He doesn't start his ministry without without that. Yeah, and if you do not have, if you're not rooted in your identity and who you are before God, then temptation, when temptation comes, you'll be crushed. Yep. Yep. But we see a difference here in Jesus because he, he receives this identity as my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and then the spirit directly leads him into temptation. Why, 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 why? Why is that the order? Why does he go straight out in the wilderness? Hey, hey, I love you. You're my beloved. This is your identity. I'm well pleased. Now let's go out into the wilderness and be tempted by the devil. Why? Why is that the order? Well, again, just to keep beating the same uh, drum. I think what we have here is Jesus is you know, and I mentioned this Sunday. Jesus is entering the story of Israel. Yeah, you know, Israel passed through the Red Sea and entered into the wilderness of testing. Um, and here Jesus is, he passes through the waters of baptism and he enters into the wilderness of testing. Um, you know, as a side note here, th- there, there is a Americanized version of the gospel. It's a, it's a prosperity gospel light that says, well, if I, if I've been baptized <laughs> into God, you know, if I've become a Christian, then life should be good. I shouldn't yeah. be, I shouldn't find myself in a hard place. And here is the son of God immersed into his identity, you know, having received the anointing of the spirit publicly and immediately he finds himself in a wilderness. Yeah. Um, don't believe that hard times are an evidence of God's abandonment. You know, it's just the opposite for Jesus. So just a side word there. No, I, I listened to Keller preach this a couple weeks ago, just, just because I like to hear his voice. And mm, I miss him. Yeah. And he talked about that very thing. He talked about, we think this is backwards. Like it's suffering until we receive the spirit. And then it's, it's, you know, happiness, comfort, whatever you want to say. He's like, actually, like usually, you know, you're most in step with the spirit that you've actually received the spirit that you're experiencing the spirit when you suffer. Right. When you, when, when you, you face trial. Right. Right. Uh, so that, yeah, that's a big point to bring out. But yeah, so Jesus is reentering the story of Israel. He's going to prove himself to be the greater son. You know, Israel in the Old Testament is called God's son. Mm. Um, and they were supposed to be the vehicle through which the blessing to all nations would come. Um, and they failed in the wilderness of testing. And now Jesus enters that same wilderness, and he's going to pass the test. Um, so that's what I think is going on here. So what you're saying, because this is maybe a change for some of us, while there's definitely things we can take out of this practically for our own temptations and when we face them and how to how to respond and, and, and walk through temptation, that's not mainly what this text is about. Yes. It would it would there are certainly points of application. Yeah. Um where we can go, man, you know, Jesus combated the temptations by quoting scripture. Right. Um hundred percent. One hundred. I'm not taking that away from you. That's true. Um, I think it goes deeper than that even. But if that was the only word of this text, it might be bad news. Right. It'd be like, hey, be, you know, and this is fundamental. Like this is, this is fundamental to how you read the Bible. I mean, like it, this is 101. And I think this is critical because I think a lot of us still default to 
reading the Bible as like basic instructions before leaving earth. Like here is a manual for how to live a good life. Um, It's not that it's not showing us a way of wisdom. It's not that Jesus isn't giving us moral instruction. All of that is there, but it's not most fundamental. What's being given to us here is the reality that Jesus has passed the test for us, that he has done something that we couldn't do for ourselves, that he is our only hope. Um, and, and in light of that, then we now live. Um, but we got to get that right first. This text and every text is ultimately about him. Right. And so before we get to what do we do, we have to get to who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. And then actually what that makes us by faith. Um, and then out of our, I knew our new identity in Christ, we then live. We're so quick to want to run to how to live. Yeah. Um, so yes, memorize scripture, immerse yourself in it. But even there, I would say like, I think Jesus is doing more than proof texting. Mm-hmm. I think he's doing more than throwing a Bible verse back at Satan. I think he's taking us back to the story of Israel Yeah, in the wilderness. The book of Deuteronomy is second generation Israelites on the precipice of the promised land because for 40 years they wandered and God let an entire generation die for their lack of faith. Yeah. And he's going, okay, I'm going to get you guys ready. I'm about to take you in. And even Moses himself missed out because he struck the rock. Yeah. You know, which is what Jesus is being tempted to do in the wilderness. Strike the rock, jump from the pinnacle, prove yourself. Isn't that what Moses was tempted with at Ma- at Massa? Hey, Moses, do something. Make water come out. Moses doesn't obey the voice of God. He puts God to the test. Yeah. And God says, hey, man, I'm going to take you up on the mountain and let you look in, but you don't get to go. Jesus is the faithful son. And Jesus Jesus gets to go into the land. He's going to take us into the land because he is the greater Moses. I mean, so Jesus is not just quoting Bible verses. He's taking us back to the story. And he's going, I'm going to show you the, the, the fulfillment of this story. Yeah. He's being tempted in every way which we are yet without yeah, sin. Yet without sin. That'll uh, preach, man. That's so, good. Yeah. There's so much, like I said, there's so much going on here. Um, so I, I I don't want you to hear me saying there's there's never application to the text. Right, right. Um, but, you know, I tried to finish here Sunday. Like, the number one application is believe in Jesus. Right. Believe in Jesus as the one who's passed the test for us, who is fully obedient, who you know, who wins the victory. And that's actually what's going to empower you to win victories over sin and temptation. Yeah. Um, it's not, hey, man, memorize a bunch of scripture and, you know, throw it at the devil mm. and, and you're going to be great. That's really important. It's really good. Well, is there, you know, you said you could have preached three sermons out of this. And you said a lot about the temptations that Jesus faced and we face um, and the victory, the triumph that he gives us. Is there, is there anything that was just, man, I, I wish I could write one more page in my sermon because I, I wish I could say this about this, this scene. Well, some might say that I did preach like three sermons. <laughs> maybe, maybe a sermon you, t- you told me You told me Sunday that... You know, I tried to give a caveat. Hey, my first point is going to be long. 
you thought because I had three sub points in my first point. <laughs> you had a lot of sub points in this. <laughs> I had three sub points in my first point. You had two points in your introduction. You said there was a moment where, like, I got to the end of the third temptation, and you were like, oh, that was all point one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's part of me that was just like, I could have preached a sermon on each of the temptations. Right, right. And just And just dealt with the temptations. Because while they're not the main point, we do face these. We you face know. them. The, the the temptation to put our physical needs, our material needs, our our appetites, our desires over trusting in God, over trusting his faithfulness. Like we face that. And I think the heart, you know, the, the the second temptation was maybe the most subtle to me, like for Jesus to secure himself, to kind of force God's hand to right. to prove it. You know, some theologians think that when Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, that part of what's there is like, if he cast himself from the pinnacle of the temple, it would have been this public spectacle. Everybody would have seen it and it would have immediately validated Jesus as the Messiah. Um, and that part of what's in our hearts that we're tempted with is, is to want validation. Right. Um, you know, or, or, self-justification I mean, Jesus knows that what awaits him is a bunch of scrutiny the religious leaders constantly rejecting him and people not understand even his own disciples don't understand the kind of ministry that Jesus is about to enter into and that part of what Satan is tempting Jesus with is to justify himself hey hey get God to put a stamp on you and I'll tell you, man, maybe this isn't everybody's temptation. That really resonated with me. Yeah. Um, if you've ever been doubted in ministry or if you've ever felt like you've been called into question, uh, there is a real part of you that wants to be approved, yeah, justified. Um, I think there's also a side of this, too. Maybe you've just dealt with assurance of your salvation. And you just felt like, man, God, I just wish that you would give me a stamp. Like, just give me something to have assurance. And we, we can we can try to manufacture something there. Right. You know, um, you know, especially in the tradition I grew up in. Well, you, you got to write the date you believed in Jesus in your Bible. I mean, you know, or, you know, all kinds of things like that. I remember the day I walked in out. Well, th- those, if we're not careful, can be become these ways to try to assure ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's going on here with Jesus in this temptation. And what he does is he roots himself in the faithfulness of the father. Yeah. And he says, I'm not going to put the Lord God to the test. I'm going to believe his word. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's a word for us, um, especially in an age of disenchantment. And where maybe we feel a cognitive dissonance in our faith between what we read in the Bible and what we feel in everyday life, um, and all of the doubts and skepticisms that can invade to go, man, I'm going to stand on God's promises and believe His word. I'm not going to put Him to the test. So there was a lot there that yeah. I felt like I could have gone deeper into, but well, and part of the the message we need to hear there, to your point, is if we are in Christ. If we've been baptized into him, we've already been justified. Right. And our life right. is hidden in Christ. 
And as you said on Sunday, and I said the previous Sunday, in Christ, everything true of Jesus is true of us. The Father says over us, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. It's in that identity that we don't have to feel like we have to put God to the test or prove yourself. Justify me. Justify yourself. No, he's he's already done that. Maybe we'll finish here like... I think we're both stealing from John Stark in that right. that language of what's true of Jesus is true of me. The second thing that Stark says is, what, and what belongs to Jesus belongs to me. That the anointing of the Spirit now belongs to us because Jesus comes to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire, which means that we have power. Yeah, We have real power to walk in the ways of Jesus and and. And to actually experience victory over sin, we've been justified. We're secured in our identity, but we've been empowered. Amen. We've been anointed. And so it's really good news. Yeah, we need to hear that. Well, we gave you a longer episode this week because we're talking about two sermons. And uh, I think it was a really good discussion. There's so much even I'm still reflecting on from the last couple weeks. And now I'm going to go try to learn how to say the word anonymity. 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 Okay, we'll see you next week. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.